once a global growth powerhouse, now heading for its slowest growth in half a century. What is the outlook for world growth in 2024 as the China risks rise? Are China's local authorities in trouble? So now local authorities are on a tight budget. Some civil servants reporting significant pay cuts across the board. TikTok posts used in a new AI phone scam to carry out ransom crimes. A look at how scammers use social media to track their victims. Chinese nationals attempting to force their way onto U.S. military bases more than a hundred times. Now the House GOP is seeking answers from the FBI and Defense Department on Chinese infiltration in America. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As the Chinese Communist Party celebrated its 74th birthday over the weekend, the World Bank released its forecast for the country's 2024 growth. But the numbers don't look promising. The Sunday report lowering China's economic output to 4.4 percent for next year. That's down from the 4.8 percent forecast in April. And that gloomy forecast will likely spill into the rest of Asia. According to the bank, Asia's developing economies, plus China, are all facing their worst economic outlooks, quote, since the late 1960s. China is now facing multiple issues, ranging from an ongoing real estate crisis to growing debt and deflation. Beyond the World Bank, other financial institutes also cut their forecasts for China. In August, Swiss bank UBS cut its forecast to 4.2% for 2024. Last month, Fitch ratings lowered China's growth to 4.6% for 2024. And Moody's cut its 2024 projection to 4%, down from 4.5%. Beijing may be further tightening its censorship. This time, it seems to be targeting iPhone apps. And Apple has complied. App developers who want to publish their apps on the Chinese Apple App Store will now be required to show proof of a Chinese state-issued license. To get one, app operators will have to register with the Chinese state and comply with data transfer and censorship requirements. In the past, U.S.-based apps like Instagram, Facebook and Twitter could be accessed in China with the help of VPNs. But the new rule effectively requires the back end of all approved apps to be hosted in China. It's set to affect hundreds of thousands of apps on Apple's Chinese App Store and how accessible they are. Some developers have voiced concerns about Apple's decision to comply, with some suggesting they'll remove their apps from the store if they're forced to file. Apps without proper filing by March next year will face punishment. Newly developed apps need to comply with the rule as of September. China's gate crashers. The term refers to a few Chinese nationals known for attempting to rush and gain entry to some of America's most confidential facilities. U.S. lawmakers are investigating the matter. Here's more. U.S. lawmakers are revealing a new investigation into Chinese infiltration in the U.S. In a letter to the Defense Department and the FBI, the House Oversight Committee cites national security concerns for the probe. It says anonymous Chinese people are posing as lost tourists, repeatedly breaking into the checkpoints of top-secret facilities and military bases in the U.S. Last month, the Wall Street Journal reported a joint review from U.S. governmental agencies saying that similar incidents have happened over a hundred times in recent years. 
but exactly that. It's espionage and and checking our readiness and our security capabilities on our bases. And that's what China wants. They want the innovation, not just from our factories and our, our general economy, they want our innovation from all of our military ideas and thoughts and services and so on. It's a significant national security threat. We're in a war now with China, which is everything short of conventional war. Even though some Chinese gate crashers have been imprisoned or are under investigation, U.S. officials say many are only detained briefly before being escorted out of the U.S. Concerns over Beijing's espionage are high after a Chinese spy balloon crossed the U.S. before being shot down earlier this year. A group of U.S. senators are eyeing a China trip next week. They hope to meet regime leader Xi Jinping. Senator Mike Crapo's office confirmed the trip on Monday. Crapo and his colleague Senate Leader Chuck Schumer will raise the issue of U.S. chipmaker Micron's ability to do business in China during the visit. The company faces an ongoing probe by Beijing's cybersecurity body. The move is widely seen as part of the tit-for-tat in the ongoing U.S.-China tech war. Crapo says they believe the more engagement they have with China, the more potential to resolve conflict. The planned visit comes amid expectations of a meeting between Xi and President Biden later this year. Schumer's office said Tuesday the group will also raise concerns about human rights in China and fentanyl. The Chinese embassy in Washington declined to comment. Journalists and writers in India getting a jolt from law enforcement Tuesday. Indian police raided the homes plus the office of a media company they work for as part of an ongoing investigation. Officials say the outlet is taking illegal foreign funding. Here's a closer look. India-based media company NewsClick is now accused of taking money in exchange for pushing Chinese propaganda. The investigation began after a New York Times report in August named the outlet as part of a global network. Its members were reportedly taking payments from American billionaire Neville Roy Singham to publish pro-Beijing content. If some portal or agency will run China's agenda after taking money from them, such things cannot be allowed to happen in the country. Indian officials confiscated laptops and smartphones as part of the probe. NewsClick's website says it launched in 2009 and is dedicated to covering news from India and elsewhere with a focus on progressive movements. India has fallen to its lowest ever ranking on the World Press Freedom Index, put out by Reporters Without Borders. It now sits at 150th out of 180, down from 140th last year. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government rejects that rating. NewsClick officials were not immediately available for press comments. In other news, some quick updates. Australia's former Prime Minister plans to visit Taiwan next week, looking to further cooperation with the island. Beijing immediately lashed out at the deal, criticizing Taiwan and the Australian delegation. China's ambassador to Australia accused the deal's supporters in Taiwan of being separatists and said they were using the lawmaker in effort to gain independence. Beijing described that as something that would hurt China-Australia ties. In response, the former prime minister praised Taiwan's role on the world stage, citing its booming economy and democracy. He said he's looking forward to the trip and condemned Beijing's ambassador for overstepping when it comes to Australia's foreign policy. Next, a bizarre update from Beijing. A headline from a Chinese state media newspaper recently caught the public eye. It reads, Beijing is becoming the world's capital of thoughts. 
Social media users were quick to comment on the idea, with one of them questioning how can a place with no freedom of thinking become the capital of thoughts? From public headlines to covert intel gathering, a Chinese woman was arrested en route to Norway. That's after a flight she was on passed over a critical Air Force base, and she opted to photograph it, choosing to ignore a no-cameras rule. The story comes as more reports emerge of Chinese tourists allegedly acting as spies for Beijing, collecting information to send back to China. Next time you pick up the phone, take notice of the voice on the other end. AI voice phone scammers have a new tactic, using TikTok posts to carry out ransom crimes with fake voices. But how? NTD's Emma Shi has more. AI phone scams are on the rise. Last year, criminals stole an estimated $10 billion from Americans through these scams. They're ruthless. They're heartless. Cybersecurity expert John Young specializes in fighting these AI phone scams. He says the scammers generally target grandparents, using the voices of their grandchildren to persuade them that they've been kidnapped, that their car has broken down somewhere, or that they're in jail. The scammers then ask for money. A lot of them are from um, countries where If they make one score for, say, $1,000 or $2,000, they immediately go into entrepreneur mode and they start hiring other people. Suddenly they can hire 10 people to do it and then they, they have a few more of these successful scores and before you know it, you have a data center somewhere, a call center with tons of people. Young says many kids have videos on Instagram or TikTok so the scammers can easily find their voices and put them into AI software. In one scenario, the AI-generated voices frantically tell grandparents they've been kidnapped, and then the voice of the kidnapper will come on and order them to send money to a bank account. Ask a personal question. Is ask, hey, where did we go on vacation last time? Uh, what was your childhood nickname? Um, and and if that is not what you're expecting, that is then this is most likely fraud. AI expert Martin Rand says this is one way to confirm whether that voice is real, if you can get the question in before the supposed kidnapper butts in. Another way is to plan in advance. My favorite thing is to have a security word. So one of the security words we used a few years ago was carrot. So if any of my kids were calling, um, you know, and we felt like there was something off, we would just ask them what their security word. Tech entrepreneur Dan Martell says people should also trust their gut. If the person on the other end doesn't seem real, they probably aren't. Emma Shi, NTD News. Now a few updates from inside China. Are local authorities running out of money? Some civil servants on China's state payroll are seeing a salary cut. Zhen works as a civil servant in southern China's Guangdong province. To protect his identity, we have distorted his voice. Some state agencies are cutting more, some are cutting less. In Huizhou City, the cut is about 19 percent. Aren't local departments short of money right now? I was chatting with a friend the other day who's also a civil worker, and he said pay cuts are happening everywhere. Lin is also a civil worker in Guangdong. He told NTD that he lost over $5,000 in just two months. Local authorities used to rely on selling land to bring in revenue. But now, China's real estate market is not doing well. Land sales are not going well. So now, local authorities are on a tight budget. Also, some foreign companies have left, so tax revenue has shrunk. Lots of factories are closed as well. The economy is just getting worse. Next, a human rights violation is getting attention. A 75-year-old Falun Gong practitioner 
died in Chinese police custody this July. Mo Yongxia is from China's Heilongjiang province. She was sentenced to six years in prison for practicing Falun Gong, a spiritual meditation system based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. The prison banned her from seeing her family. Reports say Mao was beaten and had cold water poured over her body while in custody. Over in Hebei province, 63-year-old Deng Zhaomei suffered three bone fractures after authorities thought she was a petitioner. The term refers to people in China who try to seek justice after suffering mistreatment. Local authorities also harassed her family. Officials accused her family of engaging with foreign forces. Their justification, the family had posted their story on Chinese social media and other people shared it on social platforms outside China. A wild ride for investors, stock of Chinese embattled developer Evergrande resumed trading on Tuesday, days after its billionaire founder came under investigation for unspecified crimes. Watch. Shares in the embattled Chinese developer surged up to 42% from the open but soon gave up much of those gains. Trading had been halted last Thursday, after a report that the Evergrande chairman had been placed under police watch. The company later said that Hui Yan was being investigated over unspecified crimes. Once the top-selling Chinese developer, Evergrande has been embroiled in a mounting debt crisis. Its problems deepened last week when it said its main domestic unit was unable to issue new debt due to a probe by regulators. That has complicated a plan to secure creditor support for restructuring. And the clock is ticking. Last week, Reuters reported that a major offshore creditor group could support liquidation of the company if it doesn't file a new debt plan this month. Amid the turmoil, Beijing has taken steps to support the sector with real estate making up about a quarter of China's economy. But investors around the world are watching closely, concerned over what might happen if the world's most indebted developer goes under. Coming up, a joint naval maneuver in the face of an ever more hostile Beijing. The U.S. and the Philippines are kicking off a two-week drill in the South China Sea, and several international allies are tagging along. The exercise launched soon after the Philippine Coast Guard removed a floating Chinese barrier, blocking the entrance to a disputed shoal. How does Beijing's actions in the region impact the West? To discuss, we spoke with Brent Sadler, a retired U.S. Navy captain and a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As Beijing seeks to expand control over the South China Sea, Washington is stepping up military cooperation with friendly nations. How does China's aggression in the region affect the U.S.? And what's the next move for Washington? We spoke to Brent Sadler, a retired U.S. Navy captain and a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, for more. Brent Sadler, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you for having me on. The U.S. and Philippines are beginning their joint naval exercises, and this is in the same area that we just saw tensions between the Philippines and China. Most recently, this was over floating buoys. How seriously should the U.S. take what's happening over there? 
Well, it is very serious. So certainly when you've got very near, very close by, you've got large uh, military drills going on by the Chinese and actually a part of a months-long pressure campaign on Taiwan. So the signals and the potentials for cross-messaging are very high, let alone if a Chinese maritime militia in a fishing boat were to collide with a U.S. vessel or a Philippine vessel during these exercises. Now, on that last part, the Philippines is a treaty ally of the U.S. What would it take for the U.S. to get involved? What would trigger such a response? Well, in recent years, the U.S. government's gotten a lot more clear about exactly where those red lines would be. And most importantly, it's in Philippine claimed waters. Uh, so these are in dispute with the Chinese, with the, the, the infamous nine-dash line. Uh, but also very specifically, and surprisingly so, uh, Secretary Blinken has actually stated that if the Chinese were to harass or engage Philippine government vessels, some of which are small fishing boats themselves, resupplying 2nd Thomas Shoal garrison, that would trigger the terms of this mutual defense treaty with the U.S. and Philippines. So it sounds like it's more precarious than we might even think. Yes. It's, it, if the Chinese do press against Philippine government uh, platforms, vessels, Coast Guard, uh, let alone their Navy, then that will trigger the U.S. defense obligations. And I think that message was received in Beijing uh, in a video where there were Philippine press corps on board uh, just before the moment of collision as a Chinese Coast Guard vessel was closing in on the stern section of the ship, it backed off at the last moment. Maybe that was an effect of these, these, these threats from the U.S. And kind of switching gears a little bit, on the opposite of diplomacy, China has been building up a massive military presence, especially in the Navy. They now outnumber the U.S. in terms of ships for a few years. If it were to come down to a shooting war, how much does that come down to quantity versus quality? No, absolutely. I think Stalin had it right when he said that. And if you're going to get into a major war, it's not going to be over in 90 hours or 90 days. It's probably going to take 90 months in a case when you have two large militaries like China and the United States engaging in open conflict. And so numbers matter because as you lose one ship, you lose a crew and you lose its capacity, but you also have to fall back on the ability to replace them. And again, China has the numbers and shipbuilding far, far larger than the U.S., so they can replace, and they also have more ships. And so for the United States, each one of its warships carries significant strategic value, and the Chinese have diluted that down to where they can take several losses before they start to see an impact on their war plans. For the United States, loss of a single ship or a couple ships actually could be determining factor in the early stages of a conflict. So in effect, we've put far too many eggs in too few baskets in the U.S. military. And given that bleak future, how should the U.S. ensure that we don't end up in a shooting war where American troops are pulled abroad? Hmm. Well, I think first and foremost, right now, we need clear diplomacy. In other words, clear statements of what U.S. interests are. It was very uh, hopeful and helpful to hear clear statements about the, the Chinese interfering with Philippine government vessels. We need more such statements, but most important, and this is the, the key element, is the Chinese will be listening to our words, but they're looking for where our military and our economic uh, club is at. And so if we don't have our diplomacy backed up with credible military power, it's meaningless. And it might actually backfire and actually trigger the very confrontation that we're hoping to avoid through diplomacy.
With all the different areas covered today, any final thoughts? Mm. Well, the blind spot really for the U.S. and in, in pulling together allies and partners is actually trying to focus a lot of good due diligence on making sure that we align our national interest with partners in Latin America, Africa, but most critically in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia definitely feeling the brunt of Chinese aggression and encroachment, but they still, their national interests are not fully aligned with the West, as we've seen with where they stand on, on Ukraine and Russia. And so I think there's a lot of homework and field work that needs to be done to make sure that we are working diligently to align others' interests with ours. And we need to provide a better cost proposition to our partners in the region. Brent Sadler, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.